0: Thanks for tuning to Digital Voices Podcast, where we chat digital transformation, challenges and opportunities across healthcare and life sciences. And now, your host, Ed Marks. Hey, welcome to another fun edition of Digital Voices. I hope it's as fun for you to listen as it is for me to host because we have such great guests uh, just like today. So today we're gonna talk a lot about digital leadership, physicians, like all my favorite topics in one person. And I wanna introduce and welcome Dr. Train to Win, uh, a friend of mine, a surgeon, a founder, we're gonna talk about all that kind of stuff, Uh, an immigrant, uh, just all these super cool things. I don't know how we're gonna pack it all in, but welcome to to, Two Digital Voices.
1: (laughs) Thank you, thank you. It's an honor and privilege to be here. Uh, and your leadership uh, it has been tremendous. I've learned so much from you. So it's a special privilege to be here with you and and chatting. And...
0: I know I'm I'm glad I'm glad we could finally make it work. I know you're super super busy, and you know I was thinking about the first time we met. We met all virtually. We've only known each other virtually, but I know you, you had this great startup, and uh, you connected me early on in your startup, and I got to take a look and see uh, and provide some feedback. A lot of Early, um, uh, you know, sort of uh, interactions, and then uh, what you've done with it since then has been pretty amazing. So that's sort of our how we're connected and it's been several years now. Uh, but two, as you know, the first question we ask everyone is, what's on your playlist? So what kind of music do you like to listen to?
1: That's a great question. So in the operating room, I am a classical music, classical relaxation type of person. Uh, in the office, I have a pretty eclectic mix in terms of from smooth jazz to Andrea Bocelli, every now and then some bachata, uh, Spanish music and even Vietnamese music. And of course, you know, when when exercising, working out something a bit more umf, like uh, techno and house and and hip hop and things like that.
0: That's cool. So I'm curious because, you know, I used to work in the OR as well. And so each of the surgeons all had a different personality, different types of music. So when you're listening to classical, is it, do you like it loud? I mean, obviously you're going to hear, still hear each other, you know, talking to your teammate, but do you like the music uh, loud or, or soft or where, where is that volume?
1: button? Yeah, the volume wise is quite soft. It's just enough for relaxation, but also not too loud so that we can have conversations and and make sure that we're communicating. So it's pretty soft.
0: Yeah. I, I, I went like the fifth of Beethoven, just like screaming out <laughs> right when you're at the most delicate part of uh, your procedure. Um, what about life message or mantra? Are there sort of words that you that guide your life?
1: Ultimately, you know my my life message and mantra is that it takes a village and to pay it forward. I wanted to share something that kind of. I think would help solidify why I think that way. Um, If we look statistically, right, even in this day and age, approximately about 30% or so of physicians are women, um, about approximately 20% or so of surgeons are women, about 12% or so physicians are, Asian and maybe about five percent of Vietnamese. And there's no reliable statistics for LGBTQ uh, physicians or surgeons. So as an immigrant Vietnamese woman, LGBTQ surgeon, engineer, and entrepreneur, I've been very blessed with a lot of people who has helped me to be where I am, right? And people like ourselves don't make it alone. And and so with that, not only does it take the village, but also to pay it forward with the the opportunities that we have.
0: Yeah, no, I love that. And, and yeah, you're, you're very, uh, we need more of you, right? (laughs) And we don't want you to be the 1% or whatever. Uh, But that's what I love about you. You're, you're unafraid, you're unabashed advocate for women's health, for uh, all communities. And I definitely want to jump into that uh, in a little bit towards the, the bottom of our time together because I think it's so critical in this day and age. But share your story; You're so interesting. And and for our audience to know, I I'm calling you Tu, which is spelled T-U. So when you hear me say Tu, that's uh that's your name. So that's why I, I'm using that. Uh, so Tu, tell us a little bit about your story. You know, personal, professionally.
1: Yeah. So I I am. One of those lucky kids, I knew I wanted to be a doctor since I was very young, around like eight years old. And then so, you know, when I immigrated, that's essentially was my American dream. But I decided to do biomedical engineering first because I wanted to see bench to bedside. But it's also an homage to, to my parents who are engineers. And I just love the way engineers approach problems and how they're trained to think. And with that, I've been blessed with opportunities to work in biomedical engineering, ranging from nanotechnology to tissue engineering to medical device and DNA technology, and so many different things that I've been able to get exposure to and learn from. But I wanted to make a more directed impact. So as you could imagine as a surgeon, there's nothing more direct than surgery, right? The ability yeah. to change someone's anatomy, to change their physiology and ultimately the trajectory of their life. Um, and so I was able to to follow that path and, and that dream and coming to fruition. I think one of the great uh, other opportunities is to advocate for women's health and be able to, to have a fellowship in uh, breast cancer surgery. And so to be a fellowship-trained breast surgeon and help people treat and cure breast cancer, in which is so common amongst our lives, is an incredible privilege and so very rewarding. Interestingly, with that engineering background, it's it's so funny because a lot of my my engineer's friends, you know, always say once an engineer, always an engineer. I don't care if you're a surgeon, you're still an engineer. And it's really evident when when in the trenches of medicine and and being in the front line, seeing so many different things that we can make improvements upon. And then the, you know, the wheels keep turning in terms of how do we turn problems into solutions? How do we amplify that? How do we make things better for the people in the front line at bedside caring for most vulnerable?
0: Yeah. Yeah. That And that's really what led right to sort of the founding of OptiSurge. You took this engineering know-how background, uh, your passion for taking care of people, and the fact that you're a clinician, a surgeon, uh, and you came up with an optic surge. So can you share with everyone a little bit about Optic Surge and you know, what does it do?
1: Yeah, yeah. Optic search has also evolved and we've also gone through um to ver- through various learnings. When you know, with optic search our mission is to empower the people in the front lines. I think there are a lot of different ways to improve patient care delivery, uh, but there's not as many people focusing on creating tools that are empowering and helpful to the people on the front lines, understanding those pain points. um, And I guess some people call it the battle scars, right? With that, we've, create, we've been able to bring together a village of people from very diverse backgrounds and not just as clinicians and engineers, but people who have worked in med tech and deep tech, people who have worked in regulatory, people who have worked uh, in uh, healthcare administration and leaderships to look at how we can make a positive impact by focusing on the people who are caring for patients day in and day out and how to help them do their jobs better. When we first originally started, our big focus has been in leveraging uh, technology such as augmented reality and artificial intelligence to do so uh, focusing in the operating room. And we've been able to create uh, a lot of really great tools. Uh, but interestingly, when the pandemic happened, the uh, when the pandemic happened, it showed us that one of the toolset that we built out for the operating room, which I'll dive more into uh, the telecollaboration platform that we call Vision Beyond, is also transcendent towards the bedside. And we've had healthcare leaders and frontline leaders um, ask us to take that technology from the OI and onto the bedside to help expand capacity. Hmm. Essentially, what uh, Vision Beyond is a It is an augmented reality tool that is enabled by smart glasses that allows the person at bedside, when they put on the smart glasses using our proprietary platform, can call out to the remote person through the smart glasses so they remain hands-free focusing on the patient. Uh, Because next to teleportation, I can't tell you how many of us (laughs) in healthcare (laughs) wish that someone is over our shoulder helping us uh, in many different situations. To, to expedite point of care and provide support. Uh, so this is the tool that allow us to communicate and collaborate in a peer-to-peer fashion in the most frictionless way possible.
0: So give us a little insight to about Vision Beyond. So uh, how it would actually work like in a, in a real uh, world scenario like you're doing today.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So a great example is a... Communication between healthcare professionals. So let's say that you have a patient that is sitting in your emergency room, and as a physician, a provider in the ER, you wanted to get a specialist to see this patient or have another pair of eyes on this patient. And the person that you're looking for may be at a different place, they might be in a different hospital, they might be in an office, they might Not be physically present. And so instead of having that patient wait for this person to be physically present, the person at bedside in the ER with this patient can now put on the smart glasses um, and use our proprietary platform to call out to the remote person. Uh, that they've been looking for. The remote person can be just on their phone or their computer or their tablet and through our HIPAA compliant platform can see exactly what the person at bedside is seeing. In addition to that, they can communicate audially um, and and that visual information is not only uh, present from the bedside to the remote person, but let's say the remote person wanted the bedside person to pay attention to a certain area. Uh, they can also point and draw to that on their device. And whatever yeah. they point and draw to it overlays through the augmented reality capability uh, onto the patient. So then you know that this is the area that they're paying attention to. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I'm I'm a doc, I'm in the E D. And it's like, I got a trauma case and it's like, oh my gosh, I'm not sure what to do. I need, I know the best uh, in the world, it's uh, Dr. Two. So I'm I'm grabbing two and you're seeing what I'm seeing. And then you're like, oh, uh, you can circle and I'll see it like yep. on my screen and I'll know exactly, okay, this is the spot. Yeah, I love it. So it's like, instead of like carting around a big cart like we do today, sort of first generation, <laughs> right? We got to try to fit it and you, it doesn't work the same way. Uh, you're going to have a different angle, all that kind of stuff. And, and you can only speak to what you're speaking about. You can't really point to it. Uh, this really takes care of that with the augmented reality piece. So I, I love it. I can see the like gigantic uh, use cases out of that for sure.
1: Yeah. And it's been an interesting um, adventure. Oh, sorry.
0: No, you go keep going. Yeah. Tell <laughs> us about the adventure.
1: Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> it's been an interesting adventure because the versatility of this tool has really... Expand it and, and attract different type of use cases. You could imagine that in this day and age, for example, rural hospitals is a great opportunity where you may not have all the specialists and the physicians and the providers, but you don't, necessarily not have care. So this technology allow people to have that kind of care even in the rural areas. In our most vulnerable populations, like in the nursing homes, so we've had partners uh, in the nursing homes as well that's, that's exploring this tool. And you could imagine the opportunity here for a hospital at home or home health really expanding capacity and empowering the people uh, that are in the front line, and and make it so that they can always have some sort of support.
0: Yeah, I my mind goes a million different uh, directions. <laughs> I'm sure people listening as well, right? Because if you got this capability, there's a tremendous amount of use cases. Let Let's talk one more thing uh, related to uh, Vision Beyond before we kind of talk about career leadership, and that is where where have you thought about like that next step where this is headed that Maybe can't do it today, but it's on your roadmap that you can share, you know, uh, like what's what might happen next with this capability?
1: Yeah, absolutely. We're really excited about the versatility of of the platform and also what's coming out in terms of hardware. And so we've recently made an, a public announcement with our collaboration with Lenovo, but that's only a an example of where some of the great hardwares are going. And so all of that to say, I think a big part of what's coming out, we're going to see different, uh, potential hardware and its applications in healthcare is one aspect the other piece is that there's a lot of opportunities as we've heard about how do we decrease the the burden for clinicians and physicians people working into the natural language processing and and documentation uh, voice-to-text type of aspects. And then, of course, artificial intelligence. As you probably know more than anyone else, garbage right. in is garbage out, right? So how do we right. capture meaningful data and put it to good use?
0: Yeah. No, that's that's super exciting. I, I, that's why I'm so glad you're on the show and, and sharing about uh, different things that you all are doing and uh, where we're headed. So let's switch a little bit about career. So you're this busy, awesome clinician and that you have this great idea for the startup, it's got to be hard doing both. So what, what are one or two key learnings that you might share? Because there's probably some other docs listening or they don't have to be a doc, to be an executive who's thinking about maybe a startup. Like what were one or two key learnings that you wish maybe you had known before you started?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think the, yeah, one of the aspects uh, in healthcare particularly is that things takes time. And a lot of the work that we do is also about bringing people along. I think that innovation, as I have humbly realized, is a whole different language. And so you have to, sometimes you have to start with the ABCs with some folks. Sometimes if someone is already more involved and is already in that culture, that is a different way to approach uh, that conversation. But ultimately I think a key learning here is that innovations in healthcare takes time and it has to be thoughtful. And still being a practicing clinician, that's, you know, to me that that helps solidify it, right? Because what we do at Optic Search is not just about creating cool tech, right? Because at the other end of it is somebody's lives and it's gonna affect someone. So how do we create thoughtful tools? And how do we approach it from a point of improving outcome and improving care delivery?
0: Yeah, th- those are really uh, great points and things to consider. And I agree with you on the time part and the innovation, <laughs> yeah, everything you did, but yeah, it, it goes hyper slow in uh, healthcare. Things take a lot longer than they maybe should. And then uh, yeah, everyone's somewhere different on the innovation curve and, you know, you got to assume you got to start from the, uh, very slow and, um, and then help people along. So, so those are, those are, that's some good advice. I want to make sure we have enough time to talk about leadership. So I'm going to shift over into, uh, uh, leadership and also, you know, we kind of touched on it in the very beginning, your advocacy. So you're, you're a passionate person and you're a very passionate, uh, advocate, uh, for many, uh, Can you share more about, you know, sort of uh, maybe the reasons why or the benefits and and, or what more can be done? I'll ask you some more questions as we go as we unpack this one.
1: (laughs) Sure. Yeah, yeah, I started in advocacy work. A big part of it was in college where we do a lot of grassroots work and, and canvassing and also creating programs for the homeless and the underserved. And that has also been a great learning and also evolved over time. Uh, Particularly as in a leadership role, I think something that I've learned is mentorship is a big aspect of advocacy and creating space um, for those that may have been marginalized, uh, creating the visualization for someone. I often get people who comes to me to say, we don't even, we didn't realize someone like yourself can be in a position um, that you are and that's inspiring to them. So representation matters. Uh, And again, going back to the mentoring and paying it forward, I think is a big aspect because those people that you help can potentially help so many more people. And so... In the more recent days, I've been focusing on doing a lot of that uh, through in terms of advocacies, through mentoring and creating space for people who may not otherwise have the experience and um, and the guidance and the advisory. Yeah,
0: you may have already answered the question in a way, but what what advice would you give people who want to be advocates but never have been? Um. So maybe they maybe they've been, for lack of a better term, I don't mean it the way it's going to sound, but aloof or not engaged or didn't see the issue. But suddenly they see the issue. All right. So they see an issue. What what are some things they can do to, uh, you know, become an advocate like yourself?
1: Yeah, thank you. Uh, for me, it's always about learning as a starting point. And for myself, uh, where I saw some opportunities in which I can make an impact, and I start with learning more about that situation and, and where some of those issues are. I think that, you know, and part of it the learning aspect is immersing into volunteering opportunities um, and getting in touch with the people who are are on the front lines trying to solve those issues as a starting point. And from there, I think you, people learn of the different opportunities to actually make an impact and a difference.
0: Yeah, that's good. This I'm taking lots of notes. It's just like uh, sound advice and it's all practical. You know, that's what I appreciate. About you too is a lot of what you're sharing are really uh, practical things that you can do, as opposed to theoretical, which are still good and important to have theory and stuff. But uh, but I, I'm a person of action, you know. So <laughs> I think a lot of our listeners are like, all right, what what are some things I can do? Because I know I need to be uh, more helpful. So what about yourself? You 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 talked about you know it takes a village and and things like that. What's the best advice you ever received? So. You've been mentored or, you know, as you went through medical school and in practice now, uh, what's the best advice you ever received?
1: That is a toughie. I think that I've received a lot of great advice. Uh, But interestingly, uh, one of the best advice that I ever received is that not all advice are great advice. It sounds bizarre, right? But <laughs> as as you know, as a young impressionable people, I think it, the the idea here is that use your curiosity to your advantage. You may get an advice, uh, but you also should chew on it and look into it, and and see you know that if it, there's validation, because people's with advice comes from different experiences and doesn't necessarily. Reflect uh, exactly in the answer that you're looking for.
0: Right. Yeah, I, I, it just makes me smile because you know my my family, my my wife, and my many kids are all sort of entrepreneurial. Yeah. And they'll have advice they give to each other. But you know the advice a, a financial guru might give to someone who's got a med spa, you know, it's not gonna it's gonna be good <laughs> advice if you're a finance person. Right. But not necessarily good if you're you know working on something. <laughs> So I'm always having to break up the the little squabbles that occur whenever we're all together, you know, sharing advice. But, yeah, people are always well-intended, for sure. Um, What about recharging your batteries? That's something a lot of listeners, they always ask me about is, hey, you have all these super busy people that are on digital voices and, you know, clinicians or executives and they've got all this other stuff going on. They're starting new businesses. They're doing this advocacy but how do they recharge their batteries and remain fresh, you know, to sort of have a integrated or balanced life?
1: That is a great question. Mm-hmm. And I think it's one of those things where it's dynamic and it's constant. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I'm getting older, I think more and more I see that you can't get time back. Uh, and the time that you spend with your loved ones and the time that you spend for self-care uh, and being kind to yourself is, is equally important as the other stuff uh, because yeah. like we started off in the beginning, things take time and this is a marathon.
0: <laughs> yeah, that that's good advice again, you know, to think of it long-term, right? It's not a sprint, but you got to think super, super long. So too, we we covered a lot of ground here, just your, your fascinating background and upbringing and things that you've gone through and, and, uh, what you listen to in the operating room, always find that super <laughs> interesting. The, your, your quotes, you know, about uh, takes a village and I love the pay it forward that comes through in your advocacy and just who you are uh, throughout this entire, our, our time together. Uh, we talked a lot about opti-surge and, and Vision Beyond. We'll put some information links in the show notes for those people uh, interested. And then we talked about your career and melding sort of uh, that biomed background with the clinical, clinical side of things. And then we, spent a lot of time on leadership and advocacy. So it's been super fascinating. But is there something that I missed or something that you want to double down on? I'll give you the last word. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah, I think that it's, I'm, if it's okay, I'm going to turn the table around. I think that as someone who is continuously learning like myself and is, yeah, I've had the opportunity to, be part of the, in healthcare, the entrepreneur and tech side, the clinical side, and the leadership side. I think it's always such an interesting situation of the healthcare in our country. Uh, and I wanted to turn the table around, actually, because I think you have some tremendous experience and background, uh, and your own adventures in healthcare, and I. Th- I wanted to get your perspective on what do you think that is missing in how people are approaching the healthcare problems in this day and age.
0: Yeah, so you know, the first thing that comes to my mind too is that, you know, I've got some experience now working on, you know, the vendor side. You know, like yeah. like you have both and I have both now too. You're a clinician so, you're on the provider side, then you started this company and you're a vendor. And so, I was a long time CIO, CDO, and then I went over to the vendor side, you know, in consulting and things like that. And, and, if, and if there's one thing I could share, and I see if this resonates with you based on your experience as well, is that the two sides need to look at each other as brothers and sisters relationally and work together to solve the problems of healthcare. Because what I find, and I think one reason healthcare is sort of slow is there's this uh, there friction between the two. Uh, obviously there's gonna be exceptions and there's some really good providers and some really good companies, vendors, and they work super well together, but there's this constant distrust, uh, misalignment. Uh, and I think if we could get past that, and if we could truly like, like your product, right, we're not pitching your product, but I know what it does. It, it's awesome. It mean, solves so many of the pain points in healthcare today. It should be a no brainer. But there's this distrust. And, you know, there, and I think if we could solve that. I think healthcare, we would, it wouldn't like suddenly be perfect. But I think we would <laughs> maybe cut the time. Maybe if, I'll be as so bold as to say by 50%. If we would just trust each other. And we have all the same good intent. It's really about saving people's lives, putting together the best experience for clinicians. Uh, and if we could just center on that and then make it happen. So that would be my my piece of wisdom. Uh, nothing as great as what you were dropping on us uh, this last half hour, but that's sort of my immediate reaction to the question.
1: I really appreciate that because I think you've kind of put into words something that we've experienced on both sides. Or Like you said, we have the same goal. We ultimately, we all start off with trying to make things better in healthcare, trying to save lives. And I think that when we come to the table from a business and, like you said, have a little bit more trust and collaboration so that things can yeah. actually start get moving and innovations can actually get deployed and and looked at and investigated and, and go from there.
0: Yeah. You know, one, one quick story that came to mind as we wrap yeah. up related to this, and I learned it from a CFO and uh, the head of supply chain. So I was a young CIO and I, I knew that, you know, we got to make the best financial decisions for our organization, of course. And so I was working with a vendor, And we were just pounding that vendor into (laughs) submission, getting the lowest price, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I was so proud. I was like, I went back to these two executives. I sort of reported up to them and I was like proud. And they said, Ed, actually, uh, you went too far because you don't want the vendor, you don't want a beat up relationship and you want the vendor to make profits so they can reinvest and keep developing awesome products. Because if you just force them to, make minimal profit they're not going to be able to reinvest and do the r d and other things so there's a very important balance and i think sometimes our supply chain people lose that focus our finance people lose that focus and they're all like get you know don't even pay one percent more than the cost you know that sort of mentality (laughs) that doesn't help us you know and so that's a practical thing right there you know for for my message to everyone is like be reasonable Yep. Um, because you want your partner slash vendor to be profitable, so they can hire the best people, do the best science, do the best quality. You're just like always nailing on price. Everyone loses. Everyone.
1: Agreed. That is very wise. And so I'm glad yeah. I asked you that question. I think that's really, really important.
0: All right. Well, uh, to thank you so much. You're. I, I just. We've never got to spend time in person, but next time in your area, I'll try to look you up. Uh, You're just a wonderful person. I I know it from our interactions, and I from the you know you get a sense about people when you interact and you see the things that they do and what they're passionate about. Um, And so, thank you again for being a guest on our show.
1: Thank you for the opportunity. It's been a lot of fun, and I appreciate the added advice.
0: All right, that wraps up Digital Voices. And again, thank you for listening. Cheers.